Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here with a special episode where we're going to talk to a man that I know a lot of you are very intrigued by because the last time around the Giants had a general manager search, he was part of it. And he's also part of the ESPN Monday night broadcast team that's going to be covering the game as well. And as by now, you probably know that man is Lewis Riddick. So we're going to talk to him in a few minutes, really get into what he thinks of the Giants at this point, where they stand, where Daniel Jones stands, and kind of what direction the organization, in his opinion, needs to go. And why is this relevant? We've talked about it here before. We all seem to think that it's improbable that Dave Gettleman, the general manager, would be able to sustain and withstand a fourth straight losing season. Now, I found some examples of guys that actually did general managers. Les Snead is the one that kind of popped out to me. He's the general manager of the the Rams, who actually has had success and started with four straight losing seasons. But he's certainly the outlier. The history of what I've found, in at least the recent history, has not been overly supportive of going for a fifth year with a general manager after four straight losing seasons. Now, some of the examples are uh, Dave Caldwell, in Jacksonville, had some success after the fourth season, but that was sort of fleeting, and they had brought in Tom Coughlin as well to kind of oversee him. Uh, Matt Millen, uh, he started off with four straight losing seasons, never got much better. He wasn't necessarily by title the general manager, but he was the general manager. He was the general manager plus even more responsibility. So uh, Reggie McKenzie with the Raiders is another one. So not great examples. And for the most part, let's be honest, I found those four in the recent history. Uh, so there hasn't been many. So basically, if you start your tenure off that poorly with four straight losing seasons, the likelihood is you're probably in trouble. And that's what we're kind of expecting if things turn out the way that they do this season for Dave Gettleman. Now, the Giants have the Chiefs on Monday night. This will go a long way in determining that if they do beat the Chiefs and somehow Upset the Chiefs. They're huge underdogs. Chiefs have been stumbling, by the way. Not not exactly playing like world beaters like the uh, you know, Super Bowl team that were last year or the champions that were the year before. Still a tall task, but the Giants would really have to turn around. The likelihood, though, two of their next three games on the road on Monday night, Kansas City and Tampa Bay. In between, they play home against the Raiders. But, man, you lose those two. I'm being generous here and I'm giving them a win at home against Kansas city. I mean, sorry, against the Raiders. And you're still, you're going into the, you're, you're sitting there post by after 10 games at three and seven. Okay. So the likelihood that this is going to end up as a good season are really, 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 really slim at that point. So that's why we continue to talk about how this is probably inevitably going to play out. Now the giants are coming off a good win, beat the Carolina Panthers, Really the biggest positive that I take away from that is that the defense seemed to find the identity it had last season, right? Secondary plays well. They're able to take a subpar quarterback and make him, and that's Sam Darnold who played very poorly, and make him look like a subpar quarterback. To scheme and uh, create a pass rush, to stuff the run with their front. To have Leonard Williams play that role, that was his best game by far. He played it. He played a great game. 
ended up with one and a half sacks. The sack was actually, the full sack was actually bogus, but like that doesn't take away from the fact that that was a, a dominant game by Leonard Williams. And Dexter Lawrence played well. And the front played well. And you're hoping that maybe this is a step in the right direction for the defense and they can resemble much more the defense that they put on the field last year than what we've seen most of this year. Aziz Ojolari, great game. Two and a half sacks. I think it was six pressures. I mean, that's a big-time game. Now, you want to poo-poo that because he played against a, a backup tackle, right? A backup rookie tackle. It's basically like a, a practice squad type player. Yeah, you're probably right, but here's what I'll say to that. Lorenzo Carter never did this against any backup tackles. He never had that type of game. Neither did O'Shane Zimenez. So the fact that he was able to put together that game, I don't, regardless of the competition, should have you excited at least to some degree about what Aziz Ojolari, the second-round pick out of Georgia, can provide this team. So to me, that's what you take from that. And the other thing is, offensively, the Giants were so shorthanded, right? We know what the offensive line is. Daniel Jones is working out, working without his top four weapons, right? No Saquon, no Galladay, no Tony, no Shepard. And Daniel Jones played well against a good defensive front, facing some pressure. So I think when we're sitting here and you're looking at the first seven games of the season, the Giants are two and five. You have to feel better. I don't know how you don't feel significantly better about Daniel Jones. If you've really watched, not these people who pop in and watch, you know, a minute here, a minute there and watch the highlights and see the, you know, he struggled in the Rams game. I don't know if you watch the totality of those seven games, how you don't feel significantly better about Daniel Jones. Like he only threw for barely over 200 yards against the Panthers. Only one touchdown pass went to Dante Pettis. But if you watch that in full, in totality, and didn't come away thinking, oh, he played a really good game, then I don't know what you're watching. I really don't. I don't know what you're watching. And for that, for the most part, that holds true for this season with Daniel Jones. Like, I'm getting there. I'm almost there to say, I think he's that future franchise quarterback. Each week, little by little, minus that Rams game when he played poorly, I'm getting closer to, to getting there, where I can envision. If you just put the right pieces around him, you give him the proper, you know, protection, and offensive line, and the weapons that are going to be there. I'm starting to envision, okay, this could be good. This guy could be a really, really good quarterback in the NFL. Do I think he's going to be a star? No. But I'm getting really close to thinking, you could definitely win with him. You could definitely build your team around him. I'm getting close. I think you should be too. But let's check out what Lewis Riddick thinks about Daniel Jones and where the Giants are in general. Because there's a guy that, quite frankly, let's be honest, knows a heck of a lot more than me about this game. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's bring in Lewis Riddick, who will be there watching firsthand on Monday night. Lewis, of course, is the ESPN Monday Night Football Analyst, excellent at what he does. Also happens to be somebody who I'm sure everybody out there is pretty familiar with was a candidate for the Giants GM job last time. So we'll get to that in a little bit, Lewis. But what, let's start Let's start first 
on this Giants team and kind of what you've seen coming into this game, right? So you look at the Giants organization. They're sitting at two and five, right? Um, mm-hmm. They have their problems. We, you know, they've been pretty well diagnosed here. But what do you see from this organization on where they are in their progression? Well, you know, I mean, that's that's a it's a multi-layered issue. But I think obviously there are some really good individual components on this roster already, especially when you're talking about the periphery of the football team, meaning like on paper, the wide receiver core should be one of the better ones in the NFL when everyone is healthy mm-hmm. and everyone is on the field together because the different body types between Kenny and Darius Slayton, Sterling, you know, even John Ross, the way he looked against New Orleans, Kadarius Tony, he's giving you a snippet of just how electric and explosive he can be. I mean, you got to be excited about that. Yeah, somebody tell me that they think that they have the second best skill position group and wide receivers after Tampa Bay, probably in the league. Well, sure. I mean, in terms of athletes, yeah. In terms of how they could complement each other, yeah. But I mean, that we know this that 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 doesn't that doesn't mean anything. You know, the game isn't played on paper or on right. depth chart. I mean, these guys need to stay on the football. Field you got to be healthy, of course. And they need to produce. Sure. I mean, I mean, hasn't that been Evan Ingram's entire career so far as a Giant? He's one of the best athletes in the league, regardless of position. But one, one of the best players I've se- I seen in shells. Like nobody's better yeah, than Evan Ingram. He's right, amazing. But, I mean, he's con- <laughs> he's constantly a uh, subject of of scrutiny and dismay because of how he just hasn't been able to produce in football. So I think they've they've gotten some of those those people. Look, Saquon. When we saw him in his rookie year, and then if you fast forward to like right now. Mm-hmm. how he looked against New Orleans. New Orleans, again, looked like a game where maybe this team was turning around as far as how it could look for them, especially on the offensive side of the ball, with the explosiveness that they have and the kind of speed and playmaking ability that they have. But then he gets hurt. And now, you you know, again, now the questions come up about availability, which is obviously the best – you know, the, the best thing you can have in the NFL, especially when you're talking about being a running back, and now Saquon's availability is a topic of discussion again. And then, you know, the topic of discussion that's always surrounded him, which is whether or not he should have been drafted where he was drafted in the first in the first place mm-hmm. when you're talking about second overall. And so that is something else. Now, now that's something that's dragging them down. But you saw what he can do. You saw why people were so excited about him. And then and Daniel... Look, he, he's a good football player, man. He just has not been able to master the art of making sure he takes care of the football in the pocket, making sure his decision-making down the field is always clean and putting the ball where it needs to. And it's all, it's flashes with him. It's flashes with this whole football team. It's flashes with the offense in particular. And as a coach told me once, Flash players get you fired because you know what happens? You wind up hanging on and hanging on and hanging on to them because they keep you know, enticing you with the flashes. But then what winds up happening is they don't have the consistency. You wind up being a 500 or sub 500 football team. And that's not good enough in the NFL, especially if you're talking about the Giants. So that's a problem as far as the perimeter skill players are concerned and why you're just not quite there with them yet. The offensive line is a whole different issue. We already know what those issues are. I've talked about these issues. And I know people have gotten all up in arms about what I said about Andrew Thomas last year. But the fact of the matter is this. 
in his rookie season. I know there's a number of different reasons why he underperformed. Okay. I understand that there's different reasons why that you could point to that he underperformed. But the fact of the matter is he underperformed grossly last year. This no, year, no doubt about that. He looked totally, he looked totally different, especially once we got into the regular season. He something started to click for him. He settled down. Obviously, he felt healthier, and he started to look like a guy who was a franchise left tackle. Mm-hmm. Now he's hurt. So it, it's like, see, see what I'm saying? So like, potential doesn't mean squat in the NFL. Wins mean something in the NFL. Potential doesn't do anything but get people to buy tickets in the offseason and buy jerseys in the offseason and get excited about the coming season. And for and it allows ownership groups to always sell what's coming next down the line. Sell the future, sell the future, sell the future. And that's kind of like this, this kind of cycle that the Giants have been in. Because it isn't it, there, there's plenty of people to get excited about, especially mm-hmm. on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. But they either for one reason or another have underperformed, whether it's because they've been hurt and unavailable, or they just haven't been able to string together, you know, a bunch of games where they're able to rack off, you know, reel off some wins. And then next thing you know, they're in contention. It's, it's one or the other with them on the defensive side. Look again, some real nice pieces, real nice individual pieces still are not a team that can really um, affect third down and rush the passer in the way that, has become synonymous with giant teams of the past. They, they really look. I, I think Leonard Williams. We we know just how talented he he is. Yeah, really good player good for sure. He had exactly. We know that Aziz Ojolari is someone who, when he came out of Georgia, arguably was the most pro ready uh, third down situational pass rusher in the NFL. We'll see how it plays out for the rest of the season for him. Um, and then in the secondary. Again, it's another one of these situations where players are either hurt, unfortunately, and now they can't play, um, or they underperform there as well. Look, James Bradbury is someone who has had some great games during the time he's been a Giant. Some great games. So Dory Jackson is someone who has tremendous physical skills, but there's a reason why he's not in Tennessee anymore. Okay, mm-hmm. And it's because of the flashes. It's because of the lack of inconsistency. So I think that really, in a nutshell, really sums up what is going on with New York. You can have games where they look awful, like, let's say, okay, let's just pick a game, like against the Rams. The Rams, yeah. Let's just, let's, just look at, let's just look at the past two weeks. And then they can come back against a team like the Panthers, who at one point in time were motoring through the early part of their schedule. Now they can't, they can't buy a break and or buy any level of consistency at all. And they look like they totally outclassed Carolina last week at home. Mm-hmm. So, but so you tell me which team we're really dealing with here when we're talking about the Giants. And I, and I mean, so until they can answer that question, until they can get that level of consistency, all we're going to start, all we're going to be able to do is talk about individual pieces and potential instead of really talking about what I think Giants fans want to talk about the most, which is, are we in contention to win this division? Are we in contention in the NFC? When do we return to the glory years like it used to be? And I don't know when that is. And I don't know necessarily at this point what it's going to look like for the rest of the year for this team in particular, because it's hard to get a beat on and get a feel for who this team really is. So you just said it. You brought up that question, like the giant fans. So how far are they in your estimation from being that team? 
Do you think they can be, or is there just not enough there, or how do you view it? I, I don't, I don't know. And yeah. you know what? I'm right now, obviously in the in the midst of really digging in deep on this football team in preparation for Monday night in Kansas City. We got two. We I got do, two games. We got two games in the next what four weeks or so. So you'll you'll familiar, right. familiarize oh, yourself good, pretty good here. In the next four I, weeks, no doubt. So ask me in a month, and I'll be able to tell you very detailed. I'll give you a very detailed explanation about where I think they are, as opposed to where they're not. I just know, you know, from watching them from afar and obviously paying attention to what's going on with them and watching the games on Sunday as we're, you know, waiting for our game on Monday. Mm-hmm. I can tell you this, you know, the offensive line obviously is a point of contention. The issue no is the inconsistency at quarterback or a point of contention. The lack of availability and able to get all their wide receivers on the field together at the same time, that's a problem. And then overall, when they have games against teams that are kind of measuring sticks like the Rams at home, and then they get blown out like that, that's just not that's just not good, man. Yeah, they look like it's they look like the JV so, is how I described that Rams game. Like they were they weren't in the same class as the as the, right. the Rams when they were on the field with them. But it brings us to our the biggest so question. I think that, and you, I think, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think that tells you where this program is at relative to where they this organization is used to being historically. And that's, you know, that's a pretty big gap. So, but again, let's talk again in a month and I'll give you a real good indication of where I think or heck, let's just talk Monday after the game. Yeah. <laughs> Against so, Kansas City. Deal. <laughs> we, we could do that. Uh, mm-hmm. So Daniel Jones, that, that, that you brought that up a couple of times, right? It still seems like you're stuck in the, we don't know zone. Like he, he like he has been better with the turnovers, right? Especially, that Rams game was bad, right. but aside from that, he, he essentially has one turnover in the other, what, six games this year. So one, the other one was a Hail Mary, right, right that he threw. So there has right. been improvement. Right. But how do you judge him? Sure. And where do you stand on him? Because you mentioned there's that big elephant in the room. There's The offensive line is what it is. It's not very good. We all know that, right? It hasn't gotten good. It's still a mm-hmm. problem. And then the weapons, he doesn't have all those guys. It's been, it's been a problem since week one this year. So how do you evaluate him and where do you stand on that evaluation process? Because we're almost three years into the Daniel Jones experiment. Yeah, I think, you know, listening to what others have said about him who are around him every day, the all all of the components are there. All right. There's not Mm -hmm. there's nothing that's missing in terms of football character, personal character, you know, Football work, work ethic, commitment yeah, to the game. None, absolutely. none of that is none of that is missing. None of that is missing. Leadership. He's so I think, not at all. Yeah. So I, so I think when you're when you're trying to get a total picture on him, you do have to keep it in context. How inconsistent the things have been around him that would help you, uh, or rather, that would help him reach his potential. Namely, the consistency and the you know the quality of the offensive line, the consistency of the availability of the wide receivers. I mean, that, that stuff without that, it's really hard to get a real good picture as to just how good he can be. Although you've seen it in flashes. So I think right now, you know, you still, you do need more time this year. I think you need to let this year play itself out. You need to see if his decision-making process, the accuracy with which he delivers the football, you know, how good he is able to execute in, in critical situations end of game, two minute situations, red zone, uh, I mean, end of half, two minute situations, red zone, third down, end of game, two minute situations. How is he handling those kinds of things? Is he mm-hmm. doing what he needs to do? 
are the interceptions coming because receivers are dropping the ball, receivers not running the right routes, not because he's making a bad read, throwing it in the coverage, putting it in the wrong spot as far as putting it on the wire receivers, all those little things. It's more than just the stats. It's this, it's really, it's the entire operation with him as we move through the rest of this year, that's going to help determine just what is the projection for him going forward, because I don't see this offensive line all of a sudden turning its fortunes around between now and December. Who knows what the availability of the West exactly? Who knows what the availability of the weapons on the perimeter is going to be going forward from week to week? Who knows what the availability of Saquon Barkley is going to be going forward from week to week? We just don't know this, and that's that sucks for him. But I think that's where it's going to be a challenge for the people who are doing the evaluating and making the decision on him. That's where the challenge is going to come. You're going to have to really apply context in the highest form for him to really be able to make a decision and say, look, we continue onward with him or do we start looking for his replacement? And you start using some of those measuring sticks that I talked about. Yeah. I think the more you dig deep into them, it's just not set up for him. It's just not set up for him really to succeed the way you want him to right now. I think the more you dig deep into them, you'll see, you'll be like, wow, he's done a lot of good things. I mean, he's made their offense functionable at times when he's basically getting plastered in like two or two, two and a half seconds. And has a no guy in his face and is making some tough throws. And you're like, you know, and you see and you'll see things that I, I think more consistently this year than we yeah. had than you probably have in the last couple of years. I really do. When you when you really dive deep into that film over. I mean, the Rams game was bad. And then we, that's the thing you'll have to judge how much you put stock into that. When, when things start sure. to fall apart, he wasn't able to get it together compared to some of these other games when he has been able to work through the deficiencies that this this roster and team certainly have around him. So, right. And, that, and that's why I'm not I'm not one who's going to make a decision like I'm not one who really tries to make a decision, I guess I should say. Right. Based off of, you know, that one snapshot or based off of how he looked just this past week against Carolina or, you know, I, I try to I take it all in its totality. I look at the that the entire picture. I know what kind of uh, what kind of challenges he's facing as far as the deficiencies they've had up front. I've been talking about them. I've been talking about him. And I've been quite honestly, see, people think that I, that I don't like Daniel Jones because of, you know, maybe some of the um, questions I had with him coming out of college, but it's never like that. I, you know, I, it's never personal. I mean, I, I don't have a stake in the game as far as whether, you know, you know, as far as his success or failure, it doesn't right. matter to me. I'm just looking at it objectively. So I, I know what, what kind of, what kind of challenge he's facing. And, and right now I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you whether or not the future looks if the upside is greater than the downside with him, although I'm inclined to believe that the upside is greater than the downside, because as you mm-hmm. said, it's hard playing this football game and winning in spite of your offensive line. You got to win because of your offensive line. You got to win because of the people around you, not in spite of them. You may win sometimes, but again, that amounts to flashes. And like I said in the beginning, flashes of quality get people replaced in the NFL. Consistency of quality gets people staying around for a long time, signing second contracts that are huge and having long storied careers with one franchise. And right Mm -hmm. now, no one should feel good about what's going on in New York. Nobody at all. Daniel and nobody else, because it hasn't been consistent enough. It just has. Yeah. Which kind of brings me to how surprised are you that this organization with the structure of the resources that are in place here has been in this rut for such an extended period of time at this point? 
it's of course it's shocking. It's shocking because we know what the history is of this franchise and how much they have won and how many great players they have put out on the football field and how many great players are in the hall of fame and what the expectation is, you know, it's not, they're, they're not one of those franchises that is in it just to collect, you know, it's uh rights, it's TV media rights fees every <laughs> yeah. year and just kind of like continue to just trudge along. They're in it to put Lombardi's into a trophy case. In that that's lobby of theirs where they have four of them right now. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, that's and, when you first walk into oh, yeah, that, it, that, that facility, there's four Lombardi trophies sitting there. That's right. So it, it's definitely, it's definitely shocking just from when you consider that aspect alone. And it's also shocking because you know that John Mara has without a doubt given them the resources to go out and get the things that they need to get in order to win. You know, in order to be competitive, in order to challenge for division titles, conference titles, it's there. So, and, and it's hard. Look, it's hard to win in the NFL, man. You need a little bit of skill, a little bit of luck and good fortune. And you need it all to come together and you need time and you need it all to come together, you know, to really get what you want to get. And right now they just haven't been able to hit on those three things. And um, look, you can make all the excuses you want. But the NFL is the ultimate, the ultimate bottom line business. And Bill Parcells, <laughs> who was revered around there, said it best of anyone. You are what your record says you are. So you can get mad at people who are critical of the organization. You can get mad at people who are critical of uh, the play on the football field, whether it be as a team or individuals overall. But the fact is, the record is what they are. And they're a two and five football team right now that hasn't been to the playoffs in years. Yeah. And that is a problem for a team with that history that they have there. And uh, again, that's why I say no one should feel comfortable. And I know no one does because there's nothing but professionals over there in that building. And I've been in that situation. I've been in that situation as a player. I've been in that situation as a front office person where things aren't going right. And it is an absolute nerve wracking, just gut wrenching experience day after day when you can't seem to get out of your own way. Uh, with the head coach, you know the Bill Belichick way, right? You you played mm -hmm. for Bill. You understand mm -hmm. that. Joe Judge comes here. Your early impressions of him that, and, and the idea that some people say, oh, he's just trying to be another one of these Bill guys. That doesn't work. You know, we've seen it already mm -hmm. with all these other guys, Matt Patricia, you, you name it. You mm -hmm. go, you know, go, go down the list, Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, sure. on and on and on. And we, we could sit here and, and name guys. So what's your thought on that yeah, I, and what he's done so far? Well, I don't think there's any question that some of those guys that you named have tried to be a chip off of the old bill block, so to speak. And you can't when, when you start trying to emulate someone else to the degree where you're basically copying them, you lose your your authenticity and right. one, it compromises your ability to do the job at the highest level in terms of just coach. And it loses – you wind up losing your authenticity when it comes to relating to other players because you're trying to relate to, to them in a way that you saw your, your mentor relate to players. And players see through that. Players see when you're not being authentic. And then next thing you know, you don't know if your message is really getting through to them because they're too hung up on, the, on who you're trying to be, which is not yourself. And I – 
I don't know if that and that, look that has happened. Other coaches that have come from from Bill's tree, that's a fact. That's mm-hmm. not something that's just hearsay or a myth. That's a fact. I don't know Joe well enough to say how he is regarding all you know those different aspects. You know whether or not he tries to act like Bill on the football field, act like Bill in the meeting room, act like Bill when it comes to the draft. I don't. I don't know, and, and that, it would be unfair for me to say that. I just all I know though is this. He's been tutored by one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time, who I have a ton of respect for, okay? Having played for the guy and having talked to him numerous times since I've been done, as much as I hated it at times playing for Bill because of the level of accountability that he, that he demands of his players, I wouldn't change it for nothing in the world because everything I know about football and believe about football is what he taught me. And obviously, this is a guy who what he is teaching you works, it's just you have to find your own way of relating it to players and not his way of relating it to players. Because I'll tell you this, at one point in time, Bill, Bill's always been smart. But until it starts to really pay dividends in terms of wins and losses and impacting right. players' performance positively, people aren't going to buy into that kind of shit, man. He can rub you the wrong way. And if it's not translating the W's, you will loop. He – his style will turn some people off and have people go the other way yep. and not want to listen to him. I've seen that happen too like during our time in Cleveland because we weren't having this kind of, the kind of success he was having in New England, although we had some good teams. I mean, hell, we had 11 and five team in, in 94 and probably should have been a team that made it to the Super Bowl that year with the way we were playing defense. But I've seen guys get turned off to it because we weren't achieving at the highest level. That is what I think gets Bill's protégés into trouble the most is when players don't see it translate the wins immediately, they go, you know what? I'm willing to put up with that, that kind that way of talking to me and communicating to me and coaching with me if it's really benefiting me. And if it doesn't benefit them, then you run that risk. So I, I don't know how Joe is, you know, I've only talked to him one time and that was when we were uh, against Tampa Bay over in New York, but I hear great things about him. And I look forward to talking to him again this week in preparation for the Chiefs game. And um, we'll see. I think he comes off as pretty authentic. I Yeah, I think he comes off as pretty authentic and he tries to be himself. Uh, I think I'm sure there's right. times where he probably, you know, invokes Bill and maybe, you know, a bit too much and he might not want to. But I mean, that's part of the learning process, I think, for a new coach. But in general, sure. in sure. general, though, I think with more and I talked to plenty of guys about this, like. He's himself. He he tries and he's he knows exactly what you just said and that he's trying to be himself. But now himself is also, you have to remember, right. has a lot of traces of Bill and Nick Saban because that's of who course. he learned under. Of Those course. are the same. They believe in the same of things. Course. So no doubt. Look, you're you're influenced by the people you've been around. And, you know, as far as, you know, emulating coaches, yeah, you could do a lot worse than trying to emulate Bill or emulate Nick. <laughs> Okay, and honestly, look, I'm drawn to coaches who are really, really um, demanding and who really hold you to a high level of accountability like those two are. I like coaches like that. Believe me, I do. But it's a fine line between trying to be junior Bill and making sure you don't lose your own level of authenticity because the players now are just much different than they used to be, man. In the yep. early 90s, 80s, look, it was always coach says, do this, I do that. You know, <laughs> I, I rather I do exactly what they say. I don't question it. Now it's 
you got to be very tactful in terms of how you say things, what you say, make sure you explain why you want them to do. Yeah. Joe's a big why guy because big why guy. Is that, and look, and, and good, he should be because it's a different day and age now. And any coach who sits there and tells you that, ah, you know, I don't get caught up in all that. Then they're kidding themselves and they're full of, they're full of crap. And they're yep. going to wind up losing more players than they gain and bring into the fold because you're just being stubborn. Look, I, I played in that era and I know how it used to be then. And I know that talking to players now, how you have to approach them and talk to them now. And I can guarantee you this for as much as Bill has remained the same, you know, in terms of what he believes really wins football games. I also know that, you know, he, he's adapted somewhat, maybe not as much as people would like him to, but he's, he's adapted to, I can just tell that from talking to him now, mm-hmm. as opposed to what he was like in the nineties. So it, look, it, it's again, I'll go back to saying this winning coaching playing in the NFL is hard. That's why only a small, small, small percentage of people who play American football get to play at this level. So, oh, you yeah. know, it's, a, it's always a learning process. I'm sure Joe is still learning a lot of things on the job here, and that's the only way you can do it. I mean, because, you know, he, especially when you're a first-time head coach, right? I mean, that's what first time means. So he's trying to learn on the job. He's just learning at a place where they have a great tradition of winning, man, and people, get, people don't have much patience, and rightfully so, because it's just been too long, Jordan. It's been yep. too long, man. That's yeah. the problem. It, trust me, Giants fans feel that, So, which is why we'll get into this question, right? And I'll ask it in a very general way because I know nobody likes to talk about hypotheticals about somebody losing their job, right? So you are obviously excelling at what you do. You're in a prominent spot. But if the right opportunity arises for you, is being a general manager still something you aspire to do? Is that your professional aspirations? And would you consider it at this point in your career? I would just say the right opportunities would be considered. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's something that I've never made a big secret about. It's mm-hmm. funny because I, you know, people on things change media, though, Lewis. I mean, you're, 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 social, you're in a good, yeah. you're in a good spot, I mean, man. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what I'm getting to. I mean, people hit me up all the time as if, you know, I'm sitting here just, you know, pounding the table going, damn, I got to be a GM. God, I got to be a GM. No matter what, I got to be a GM. And that's not how I look at it. That's not how I look at things. And so that that point needs to be made very clear. But, yeah, look, everyone knows that I talked to the Giants before and everyone knows I hold John Mara in very, very high regard for the way he treated me during that process and the quality of the conversation that we had. I've asked for anything more. I mean, he was spectacular to me and he has been spectacular to me since that time as far as, you know, his support of me. So, um I hold the Giants organization in the highest regard. Everyone knows that. But look, um, what I'm doing right now in Money Like Football and the success that we're having right now is, look, it's the pinnacle of broadcasting when, it, when you're talking about professional football. I, oh, I don't yeah. care what any of the other networks are doing or what they think that their history is and whatever their history Monday Night Football, every kid knows what Monday Night Football means. You and even know who the announcers were. You're joining a list of legends who did this, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible, dude. It's incredible. And our games this year have been fantastic. ESPN has been fantastic to me. They have moved me along during my career there since 2013 at quite honestly breathtaking speed. I mean, I'm doing the biggest assignments that, we, that you can possibly do as far as football is concerned. 
So I have a great job and I am blessed beyond belief. But sure, the right opportunities with the right organizations who give you the right opportunity and chance to succeed. Of course, everyone knows that's something that's that that interests me. ESPN knows that too. But look, we're right now in the early part of the NFL season, man. And <laughs> we're not even uh, at the midway all point. All I'm focused on, quite honestly, is exactly. I'm I'm just focusing on digging in on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Giants, so we can call the hell out of this game on Monday night because this is a big, big game for both Kansas City and yeah. New York. I mean, Kansas City's reeling right now. They got to find their footing in a hurry, and the Giants are trying to figure out exactly. I love these kind of games. I love these kind of games where teams have something to prove, man. And so that's where my focus is 1,000%. So let's finish with this perfect segue. What the hell is wrong with the Chiefs? What are we going to be seeing when Giants fans go and watch the Chiefs? What's what's going on there? Yeah, I think it's – look, it always starts with turnover differential, man. And when you're a team like the Chiefs that right now – let's see. They're last in turnover differential in the NFL. You know what that's going to equate to. That's going to equate to a sub-500 record in a team that's just hanging on uh, trying to win from week to week. And they've got to get that figured out first and foremost. Starts with the quarterback. He knows that. He knows that he's the focal point. The offensive line has to play better. The receivers got to start catching the ball and play better. Defensively, I mean, they are just taking on water every week as far as the run game is concerned, although it looked a little bit better. I believe in the latter parts of the game against Tennessee last week, the secondary just gives up way too many big plays. I mean, they've got a plethora of problems to deal with. And so if I'm the Giants, look, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get to this game. I cannot wait just to see if they have answered some of the questions that they have right now, because this looks like a team that really right now has lost its way and lost its confidence and looks like mm-hmm. a bunch of like mercenaries going their own separate direction. And leadership of that team needs to pull it back together. Otherwise, this could wind up being one of those colossal underachieving type of seasons for them that nobody wants to have down there. You know what it makes for? Good drama on Monday night. Because if they were if they were rolling right now, we'd be like, oh, this is a bad game. They're just gonna roll over to the Giants. Now we really enter this game and say, okay, let's let's see how let's see how this unfolds. The Giants could do some damage against this defense. Absolutely. It could create some of those Absolutely. turnovers. So absolutely. This this will be a this will be a much better game than people think it's going to be. Well, we look forward to hearing you call it and watching it ourselves. Lewis the great Lewis Riddick, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it as always. Absolutely, Jordan. Thanks a lot. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now that was some insightful stuff right there from Lou Riddick. A, a very bright football mind and a really good analyst, by the way. Uh, so thanks to him for coming on. I really enjoyed that. I hope you all did as well, I believe. And this is just my opinion. That in about six weeks, we're all going to be sitting here parsing some of those quotes saying... You know, Lewis Riddick is a serious candidate for this head coach. I'm sorry, for the general manager position. Because if the Giants keep losing, it's going to be really, really tough for them to keep Dave Gettleman. And we're going to be looking at Lewis Riddick as a serious candidate because he's definitely very well regarded by John Mara and Giants ownership. They're going to have to, where this organization is at this point after this prolonged uh, drought and this really bad eight years rut that they've been in. They're going to have to get out of their comfort zone and look outside their own little in-house, you know, family, even though it's uh very ungiant like, and Lewis Riddick is going to be one of the guys, I believe my opinion only in that mix. So we're going to be looking at this interview and some of the things he said there about some of the key pieces and, and kind of applying that to, okay, this is what one of the giants, general manager candidates is thinking. Aside from that, we're going to close this episode with a Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, cover the NFL, work for ESPN in general. And because they're playing the Chiefs this week, let's go down memory lane just a bit. And to the, what was it, the 2017 NFL draft when Patrick Mahomes was in it and the Giants or at least one member of the Giants organization had supreme interest in Patrick Mahomes. Now, I've told this story before. We all know that one man is Ben Benjamin McAdoo, you know, Benny with the good hair, as some of you like to call him. Uh, So Ben McAdoo. The only member of the Giants organization to even go to his pro day, actually, was super high on him. So I remember even talking the night before the draft, and there was another media member who was like, you know, they might be interested. They might go up and trade for and get Patrick Mahomes. And I was like, no chance. I'll, I'll, I guarantee you, I bet you that there's no chance that that happens. Because I spoke to other people in the organization, and they were like, no chance, right? First of all, the Giants are picking 23rd. Mahomes went ultimately right around the top 10. I don't remember the exact number. I think it was right outside or right inside, one or the other. The Giants ultimately picked 23rd, and they took Evan Ingram, which I know that hurts to hear for some of you guys out there. So instead of trading up and going to get Patrick Mahomes, they ended up with Evan Ingram. But anyway, they probably weren't going to get Mahomes considering where he ended up getting drafted. Now, McAdoo was in love with him, but the rest of the organization, pretty lukewarm to the point where they didn't even really scout him at that point, right? I mean, they scouted him, but they didn't go see him firsthand. They didn't go see him throw. So they weren't going to trade up and get him, even though McAdoo, you know, his feeling was, 
that Patrick Mahomes was either going to was had was either going to be absolutely unbelievable or it'd be a huge bust because he was making some crazy, ridiculous, unnecessary throws in college, and his tape was kind of all over the place. But in McAdoo's eyes, there were flashes of holy cow, look at this guy, and ultimately that's what turned out in the NFL. It was like holy cow, some of these throws, look at this guy, look at the things he can do, and. I've been. I tried to get a story on it this week, from the McAdoo perspective. Now it didn't work out. Now, if you're listening to this right now and it did work out, I slapped it together at the very last minute. But I was trying to put together a fun little story about what if the Giants got Patrick Mahomes and and kind of uh, gotten McAdoo's perspective of what that interest was all about, and if it ever was serious. Now, he would have loved to trade up, but he wasn't ultimately the guy trading up. Right? He was just the coach who put his gave his input and then Jerry Reese, the general manager at the time, he would be have to be the one to, to pull off that kind of move. John Mara would have to sign off on it. Remember Eli Manning's still there at this point and so on and so forth. And now later on that year, ultimately in 2017, what happens? McAdoo benches Eli for Geno Smith. That all, you know, goes down and guess what? McAdoo gets fired. But, you know, part of the story goes and the only reason I'm rehashing it and I've told this story before is because, guess what? The Giants are playing the Chiefs for the first time since that, you know, back since since that draft pick went down. So it is something to sit there and wonder, hey, what if the rest of the organization was on board? What if they had invested and moved all the way up and made that move? Now, it's one of those... Uh, you know, ah, why are we even getting into it? It didn't happen. It didn't even really get that close. But yet there was one man, the one, the only Benjamin R. McAdoo, who was really into making that move. I made up the middle initial. I have no idea if it's R. Reggie, Ronnie, Ricky, Ralph. I don't know. I totally made it up because his middle name could be anything. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, you know where to find me. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, email. Send me questions. We'll go over a bunch of stuff in the, in the upcoming weeks. We'll do a Giants After Dark coming soon. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time.